This, this is The Industry. A show built by the working class for the working class. If you have a job, this is the podcast for you. Here is your host, Levi Jett. Thank you for joining us again. It is Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. Um, can't believe we're in March and we're still talking really no snow um, for most of the Midwest. And it's just the upper plains and upper Midwest that continues uh, to see snow from each storm that marches through. But uh, this week could be a little different, and the long-term pattern suggests that we could be in for kind of a bumpy continuation to March and even into April in some of the areas throughout the uh, Midwest and East. But we'll check in with WeatherWorks here in just a moment um, to get their weekly update for us. Before we do that, um, wanted to touch on a couple of weather notes. And I guess before I do that, I uh, want to introduce the uh, special guest for today's show and maybe uh, many shows to follow. Not sure yet. We got to see how this one goes. Um, it is my lovely wife, Morgan Zett, who is the lead utilization review nurse. Um, she is the chief administration officer for Jet Facility Consultants. And she's also the owner of Jet Healthcare Training Solutions, um, her own company that focuses on uh, CPR training and other training. Morgan, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. And see, I can come on and get later. <laughs> well, I mean, we all know how it's going to go. It's good. Cool. Um, all right, so back to weather. Um, California is. They're almost out of their drought. They have received so much rain and so much snow really just over the past couple of months that once the snowpack melts, they will actually be out of drought status through, I think, almost the entire state, um, which is kind of crazy to hear considering they've been dealing with uh, extreme drought over large portions of the state uh, for five years plus. And now we all know what's going to happen. I mean, eventually things are going to flip around and they're going to go back to a drought. Um, but it is nice to see um, the relief coming there. Uh, just like the five years of precipitation falling in just the course of a couple of months. Um, I mentioned earlier about a storm coming in this week. Looks like we have a late week storm coming in to affect the northern plains, the northern Midwest, um, and then it'll push off toward the east. Not sure just yet what it looks like for the east coast, um, but here in the Midwest, it looks like places like Indianapolis, St. Louis, uh, Columbus, Ohio will miss out again on snow as it sticks mainly to points of Chicago and points north. Um, but again, changes look to be on the way coming up soon. But before we get going any further, let's check in with WeatherWorks and uh, hear the latest from Mike. Thanks, Levi. I'm Mike Mahalik, Senior Meteorologist at WeatherWorks Consulting Meteorologists and host of the Weather Lounge podcast. Today is Monday, March 6th. Last week was quite busy with accumulating snow falling south of Chicago late in the week and plowable snowfall into southern Michigan as a storm system passed just to the south of the area. This same storm redeveloped south of Long Island Friday night into Saturday with plowable snow and sleet northwest of I-95 in New England. Amounts even reached over a foot into the mountains of Vermont and New Hampshire and into parts of down east Maine. Meanwhile, snow continued to batter the mountains of the western U.S., 
with feet upon feet of snow falling in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Workable snowfall even stretched into North and South Dakota and across Southern Minnesota. This week, we'll have waves of snow and that will continue to blast the mountains of the west with larger system ejecting into the upper plains mid to late week. This will bring significant snowfall from the Dakotas into northern Iowa and even southern Minnesota and on into the Great Lakes. Further east, a thin swath of snow will fall through the central and eastern Pennsylvania area Monday night into Tuesday morning. Although it will only impact a few, where it does snow, amounts can be upwards of 2 to 4 inches. Otherwise, it's only flurries and snow showers that will impact the northeast the rest of the week, and then we'll be watching for the potential for a larger storm system for the weekend and another into early next week. Right now, it appears like most of the snow will fall across the interior northeast, but it does look like more in the way of rain falls near the coastal areas. That's the week in weather. Levi, back to you. Thank you so much, Mike. Another great update. Looks like a very active weather pattern for us um, through the rest of the week and looks like into next week, too. Again, I just said it earlier, March is going to uh, not go down quietly as a big portion of the central U.S. Um, looks to have the low average temperatures uh, going on for most of the month. And I, I know that April um, looks to be a chance of of that continuing. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but let's get on with the episode here. So today I um, wanted to kind of grab a, a different perspective um, from, you know, just the snow and ice industry, which has been the focus for um, this program for this is episode number 17. So 16 episodes so far. Um, has been mainly focused on snow and ice. But again, mentioning that my wife is a nurse, um, wanted to see kind of what her take was on some of the topics we talk about here on the industry. Um, stuff like uh, training, burnout, work-life balance, and just to kind of get an idea of, you know, what that looks like in the healthcare industry. Is it something that is uh, specific to, you know, snow and ice and land management? I don't think so. Um, but we're going to hear from Morgan and um, see what she has to say about it. So one of the first things, and, you know, we, we talk about this a lot, um, it is employee focus and just kind of a change in culture and values of kind of what we see out of employees nowadays. Um, it's not the same thing anymore where people take pride in their work all the time. Um, and, you know, you mentioned to me on numerous occasions that being the case for healthcare. Yeah. So the work world has just changed overall in general. And it's really sad to see. So I remember when I first got into healthcare, um, especially nursing, my very first well, not my very first job, but the very first job I enjoyed and like, took pride in. Um, I love going to work. I love seeing my patients happy. I love knowing they're healthy. I love that their families were happy with what I was doing. Um, and then, and all my team talked together. I mean, it was just great. We were actually taking care of people, making their lives better. Where now, and I'm the whole, I don't know, the whole work universe is totally sifted. Um, even the facilities that I've ran and other facilities I've worked in, it seems like people just don't care anymore. Um, patients are patients. Patients are a number. Patients are mom, dad, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa. Um, and it's so sad. Like, we don't, when I say we, I just talk about what I've noticed in general, not necessarily me. But, um, for example, like, I had a guy who was passing away at one of my very first jobs, and his whole family was there, and all my staff was in there with him and caring for him and loving on him. And we were snuck him in a beer because that was his final wish to me. He <laughs> said one day he was going to bust out of there and take me for a beer. I wasn't even old enough to drink then. Um, but don't ask me how, but I got my hands on a beer and I snuck it into him. And it, it like that was 
if he was happy and he was able to pass happy, his family was happy, and everything ended on a good note. Whereas now, I recently, well, I mean, you know, you're with me every single day, um, started a job and quit a job as quick as I started it. And it was awful. I had a 102-year-old lady that sat in a brooch chair in a hallway for six hours without being touched. Um, I went and got her nurse staff for help to move her. I went and got different staff members to just, like, entertain her. And they're like, oh, no, she's too much. Just leave her there. Like, that is neglect. And it's so crazy because that exact same facility I worked at as a CNA, and that was not the atmosphere. And it's just so sad because I, I see it all over the place. Like, even Bailey being in the hospital, when she, I mean, she's 11, almost 12, um, she spent a large portion of her life at Riley, especially. And when we would first go there, the nurses would play with her. Like, she was spoiled. Like, their only kid. They would bring boys from home and um, sit in her room and just hang out with her. And then this last admission she just had, granted, it was a very, very short admission. It didn't seem like anyone really spent quality time with her. Not that I was all attention on her, but it's just showing how the universe has changed. Um, and I... As far as the hospital goes, I'm not so sure if that staffing, like the nursing shortage, or they legit not have time to just hang out and sew a floor and color and play, or if that's just the dynamic of how things are going. So that the problem there, I mean, what do you attribute to the change in in that culture from? where it was, say, you know, five, six, seven years ago to where you see things today? Is it only related to staffing, or is there more to that? No, there's so much to it. Every single thing plays a factor. Um, I mean, nursing, some people think, oh, getting a nursing is guaranteed money, good money. It really isn't when you're considering what you do, the hours you do, the manual labor you do and how much student loans you racked up on top of that. Um, so I feel like people now are getting in with a money focus, not necessarily I want to help people focus. Because I knew I wanted to take care of people since I was little, and I knew I wanted to do something. So becoming an EMT, a CNA, a nurse, you know, being able to work my way up, I wanted to care for people. Um, where now I'm not so sure that people are starting these careers with that same focus. People want to say they have this title and people want to make X amount of money. And of course, the more school you do, the more uh, skills you earn, the more money you make, which is for sure. So there is potential to make extra money. So money is a focus and why you're starting. Um, the staffing is a huge portion of it. Um, especially in long-term care. So some facilities, and this is how most facilities seem to be, and it's not necessarily great, you have one or two CNAs for 15 to 30-something people. Like, when you count down an eight-hour shift, that's only a few minutes per person per day. That is insane. How do you provide quality care? And that's also where it turns into, are you there for the money? Are you there to care for the people? Because if you're only getting two minutes a day per person, which is unrealistic to provide excellent care, then that is also a corporate issue too. There's so many things. Yeah, so it sounds like it's the business aspect that's getting in the way of an, of a profession that's designed to put care first. Um, with you know like big pharma and you know big you know uh, hospital networks and hospital groups out there, you know they're they're obviously that they care about, you know, the, the bottom line, who doesn't, but how do you, how do you fix the issue of, you know, getting care, but also making sure your bottom line is still healthy? Yeah, so that's pretty tricky. So, I mean, quite honestly, it's the company you work for. Doing your research on the company before you start working for them, um, so there's some big name long-term care companies, wide in Indiana. I mean, I don't want to throw any of them under the bus for sure, but they automatically have a bad reputation for being understaffed, 
not great care, but they accept anybody and they accept anybody's insurance. So that means the people who, I, I guess you're going to say like lower income people get these crappier facilities, which is less care because it is money. And that is just so sad. No one deserves that. And, but then at the same time, you can get a small facility who, which I'd love to be in, um, that is, they aren't as money focused. They just want to pay the bills, maybe a little extra, but they aren't celebrating their employees. They're not, they don't have the money to put into rewarding and the upgrades and the shiny new things, but the crappier facilities are putting money on their employees. So, I mean, that's again where you have to figure out what your focus is. Is your focus the money? And once you're going to work like a dog and not provide quality care, but you are going to get bonuses, you are going to get incentives if you're working for that money, or do you want to provide quality care but not get the incentive? So that's where people really need to like understand what their focus is and what their mission is to do. Like it's just such a hard, hard situation. And actually, right now, in the role I'm in now as a utilization nurse, so it's funny because now I'm on the administrative side of things. So I see the finances and I see the insurance. And part of what I do now is I have to work with the providers and the social workers to determine how much care is enough care to justify the expense. So it gets into a real tricky area because I talk to the insurance companies and they say, hey, this person only has three days inpatient days. But my doctors are telling me, no, they need seven days of care in order to be good. So now I have to push, okay, we got to get these people out, but how can we get them out safely? So for those nurses who are providing the individual care, they're so torn because what do they do? Do they hurry up and give a quick band-aid or do they continue with thorough care? So healthcare itself is just a hot mess right now. I feel in general, I still feel very fulfilled doing it, but it's gotten to a point where it's almost like you're trying to save the world. Like yeah. in the industry, you're trying to save the industry by yourself, and it's such so sad. Like there's not a win. So in an environment like that, let's transition the conversation then to employee burnout, because it sounds like the way you're describing it is kind of the perfect environment for burnout. Um, so. From, from your perspective, I mean, how rampant is burnout in an industry like healthcare? Oh, awesome. Oh. Um, so, first, I want to talk about like regular floor nurse burnout. So, floor nurse burnout and management burnout are two different types of burnout. So, floor nurse burnout um, in a long term care setting, you have, say, as a nurse, you have 30 people, 30 patients, residents, whatever you want to call them. You provide the exact same care to them every single day. They take 15 medications. You can say those medications, like, just click this back of your hand. You know exactly what they need. You know what they want for breakfast. I mean, you're provi- at that point, you're providing quality care out of repetition. But then that repetition gets so repetitive that, that you are feeling challenged. And I truly, truly believe you have to have an active brain or you do get burnt out and you get bored. People who are bored are self-destructive. So you have to be challenged without being overly pushed. So when I was managing my building and I was the director of nursing, I had 42 people underneath me and balancing their burnout and indicating or trying to figure out when they were burnt out versus when they were just like kind of thrown a fit. Um, especially working in the industry that's mostly women, like that's a headache itself. But anyway, I, I mean, not me.
fires up their life, per se. <laughs> um, without scaring them and just man it up, kind of like just telling them this is what's going on. Um, that's the, there's really no good way to avoid it, but I gotta say, out of my 42 people, at least half of them were burnt out all the time. And it felt like once that half got good, the other half got bad. And, you know, back to the, um, uh, the culture. So that's another thing. Like me and you talk about this all the time, how we were pretty much raised that the better a job you do, the further you go, the more advanced you go. Um, the, the longer you work, the less days you take off, the more you work from home, like that is what makes you a good employee. But that's not the thing anymore. Like that is not even a thing. Um, one thing I really pushed and I felt wholeheartedly strongly about is I made sure my staff used their PTO days. They did not want to do it because they wanted to save them just in case or they felt bad because they're like, oh, people are going to be short staffed. Well, that's where your management team needs to step in and be like, we're not going to be short staffed so instead of sitting at my desk, I'm going to be working the floor so that person can have a day off. So I feel like unless you're a brand new nurse um, and you're just constantly absorbing knowledge, you're burnt out. And it's such a hard struggle because that's what I mean. You can't get bored. Once you get bored, you get tired, you get complacent, you make mistakes, people get hurt. But that, I mean, it's just so hard. I mean, it's thankfully in healthcare, you can switch up your um, specialty. So, I mean, that's good. And then you can use your knowledge in different ways. But it's so hard to not be burnt out. I mean, even staying in one place for a long time, like you, your goal used to be. Staying in one place for a long period of time, like you're going to get vested, good benefits, but that's not even the case anymore. The more you job hop, that's the only way to get raises now, or at least decent raises. In healthcare, like me, you talk about this too, it's um, a, like true healthcare bonus is 1% to 3% of your annual salary. So I'm talking about anywhere from a 10 to 50 cent raise per year. So, like, that is embarrassing, but that's all I've known because how many times have you talked about uh, your industry bonus? And I've been blown out of the water thinking that's just bonus is off of TV. So, it's just insane where the money is focused. So, let me ask you a question before we move on. It's kind of off topic, but you mentioned, you know, the, the, the difference between bonuses and raises in healthcare and bonuses and raises in facilities management, zone ice management, um, whatever umbrella term you want to put on it. But because, okay, with, with me, you know, I, I don't have um, college debt hanging over my head to be in the position I'm in right now. Um, you know, we, we, we do make a, a comparable salary. Um, and then I blow you out of the water when it comes to bonus potentially. But what, how could the healthcare industry catch up and, you know, make it more desirable to hang in there to feel like you're actually appreciated and you're well paid because again, you know, what's the stop? I mean, you know, we, we've joked around before about, you know, you're coming over to, you know, to facilities management. Um, it's because, you know, again, I mean, the, the, the salaries there, the opportunities there. And again, if it's about money, um, you know, healthcare is just it's not where it's at. So what, what do you think the healthcare industry could do to, to be in a better position when it comes to that? It's an awful question. <laughs> um, it just is, because there's not a good answer. Because healthcare is ran by such head honchos, big corporations. And I feel like once you get into such a big corporation, it's hard to cap anything. Like it's hard to change it because you're not just speaking to a manager, director, I mean, whoever, you're, I mean, the people who make those kind of decisions are too high up to even get a hold of. So that's quite an issue. So then bureaucracy is the biggest enemy of healthcare. 
and big pharma. Everything is so expensive. So unless you can cap out medications, like the cost of whatever, Bailey's, like if you look at her, um, what is it called? Explanation of benefits from her hospitalization. For a bottle of Tylenol, kids' Tylenol here, for us to go to the CVS and buy it, it's what, six to ten dollars, depending, right? So, but if you look at one medication administration of Tylenol, so like 0.25, super small dose, that is fifteen dollars per administration. Like, that is insane. So, how can you charge that? I mean, when you want to charge that, everything is that expensive. So, paying the person to administer, paying for the pharmacist to draw it up, paying for that syringe, like, Everything is so inflated that I know I wouldn't even know where to start to cut costs in order to maintain good care or adequate care at this point sure. with still like making ends meet. And like, you know, everyone's always talking about the highway to go to deep in the pocket, but I mean, that is true. But those people have earned it, I feel like. Like, they've worked their butts off, they've done their time. I guarantee you they're going home and working 18 hours plus a day. Um, they're probably having a little bit more lavish vacations than we are, but they they earned the they earned that money, they earned that title, and there's so many things like when I mean, you're government regulated, you have to spend X number of dollars in order to follow these standards or guidelines or regulations, because you can't just meet regulations without training and you're paying for the training. So like I said, there's really no win. And then in order, everyone's so understaffed, so you have to pay more to keep your staff, and then you have to pay more to bring new people in. So there's not room for a bonus. Okay. So that was an awful question. It was it's an awful question. Um, let's go back to burnout. Yeah. So what are some signs that you've noticed from your employees, some red flags, the warning that, hey, this person, you know, might actively be burnt out or might be on the cusp of being burnt out. So I'm sure it's like anything else that it's easier probably to save someone that's on the ledge uh, about to fall into the burnout pit than it is to rescue someone from Oh, yeah. So there's a few different things. I feel like I'm very empathic, so I can feel when people are not feeling it. So that helps me for sure. But not all people are like that. And if you have a bad manager, likely they're not going to feel the same way. Girls can just feel a little bit different. But um, and seeing burnout in a woman is very different than seeing burnout in a man. Because a woman is more, in healthcare especially, they're more motherly. Um, you can't take a sick day because you still got to take care of your babies. It's the same concept. You can't take a sick day because you got to take care of your people. Um, so what I noticed is, is really getting to know your employees is the biggest thing. When you know, like, you have some people who are just, like, such a flat effect, like, don't really have emotion. It's hard to tell when they're upset when they look like they're upset all the time. But then you have very bubbly people who you can tell them. So knowing your employees is huge. So I've noticed with my older women, let's say, they tend to make more medication errors. And it'll be small things like um, they don't read the orders the right way like they normally would, especially when I know their work quality. Like they're not someone who typically makes errors. So say if they gave one pill instead of two, or the order just changed, they didn't catch that. You know, um, when report to existence is getting shorter because they're not talking about everybody. Um, when you have a rise in resident complaints, that typically is an indication that whoever's assigned to that resident is becoming burnt out because they're becoming complacent. And I don't, I've never taken it as like, you don't need to punish those people for making mistakes because mistakes happen. That's how you learn. Um, you just educate and move on. But when those people know they made that mistake, like after you brought it to their attention, and they are shocked that they did that. Like they were not aware at all. That is your textbook black and white burnout. Because they are going through the motions. Um, and when they sort, when people have lost their compassion, you're just kind of sort, not short tempered necessarily, but you're not going to ask all the right questions. 
So like, I'm going to say, how are you feeling today? Which is very general. Instead of how is your back feeling today? Is it feeling better than it was yesterday? So just knowing how other people work and how they speak and how they talk like that is such a huge thing. Um, And I have been very, very flexible with attendance. But I will tell you, people start trickling in when they are burnt out. They dread coming to work, so they're okay being more than two minutes late. I never say anything like about that. Even ten minutes late, you you know, you're kind of frustrated, but not worth the fight. You know, now once it turns into twelve minutes late, fifteen minutes late, then it's like, okay, we need to what's going on. Are you staying up too late? Or like, how are you coping when you get home? Are you not able to like turn your brain off? Like that's the whole thing too. Um, so just knowing your people's patterns and behaviors, that's why it's so important to build a team and work like a team and understand your team. Um, and as a team, you have to know each other. So that really helps as a manager, seeing who's burnt out or not burnt out. And again, understanding, and I know it's so teasing and it's, and thankfully working with them and it's not as easy as it would be with me. But those get to know you papers that are like, what's your favorite drink? What's your favorite color? What do you like to do for fun? Those are the most dumb, immature, like stupid things, waste of time. But as a manager, that was my favorite go-to because when I noticed someone was getting burnt out, if I went and got them a Starbucks and knew exactly what their order was and showed up and just like, here, you're doing a great job. Here you go. That turned their entire week around. Like they would go out for you. Like they know who appreciates them, that helps prevent the burnout. Um, just walking up onto the floor and just saying, hey, what are you doing right now? Can I do it? You go take an extra break. That changes everything. It's just such the small thing, but just seeing how your team works and knowing the little misses. Yeah, I mean, I've never given it much thought to those little icebreaker exercises. Oh, they're amazing. That they're awful. They could be used in that way um but again you, you know you hit the nail on the head i mean that that's something you know that a woman is more likely to pick up than a man um and, and yeah i mean it's, i've always hated those icebreakers i i hate them in every single form they exist um but with this purpose though i mean like that that's spot on and i mean you have basically a you know a secret weapon on every employee um that you have under you. So that, that's really cool um, to be able to use that. Now, transitioning again, you know, past burnout, because you, know, you kind of talked earlier, like how to combat it with, you know, forcing the employees to take PTO, um, you know, forcing them to try to unwind, try to relax. So I mentioned this on the show a few weeks ago. Um, in Europe, they just concluded a like a two-year um, experiment uh, study on the four-day work week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I'm a big proponent of the four-day work week. I've, I've had jobs in the past where, um, you know, I've, I've had that benefit. And, you know, people are kind of all over the place on it. You know, you, you have a lot of people that they just can't wrap their mind around, you know, um, I guess tipping their employees three days off a week. Or, you know, what happens if there's still work to be done? Are people just going home? Um, and, you know, with, with my experience, if, if you couldn't get things done in four days, then you needed to work the fifth. But you're treated like an adult. It's, it's your decision at the end of the week. But in, in the snow and ice world, you know, if there's a storm coming in Friday, then, you know, you're still on. If, um, again, you know, if you've had a, a tough week, there's a lot to do, and four days wasn't enough to get it done, then, yeah, you, you might work a half day instead of a full day on that fifth day um, to get your stuff done. But ultimately, you're an adult. The decision is yours. So, my my first question is, you know, what are your thoughts on a four day work week? Hmm. All your questions are just kind of awful. Thank you. <laughs> uh, 
So it just kind of, if you were to ask me this question at different stages in my life, I would have a totally different answer for you at every single stage. So as answering this like a manager, I would have to give you an answer for like every single stage because you have to be so understanding of your people. So in healthcare, that is one of the great things is that you can likely find a job that fits your schedule. Whether it's you just work weekends and you do doubles on weekends or you do three 12-hour shifts and then you have four days off. Um, or you just work five days. I mean, there is very, there's a lot of variations in schedules depending on where you work. Now, if you would have asked me this same question, I don't know, six, seven years ago, especially as a single parent at that time, um, I mean, I had family support, but not everyday support, you know, and not having the money to pay for daycare all the time, it, there would be a lot of factors that have to be into play because am I doing 12-hour shifts? Am I doing 16s? Am I still doing 4 or 8? Like, that has a huge factor because if I had to do 12 or 16 seven years ago, there is no way at all I could make that happen because who takes care of my kids? Who's going to make sure they get to all their things? Who's going to take them to their doctor's appointments, you know? And who's going to feed them dinner and get everybody for bed, you know? So that seven years ago, I would have said, absolutely not. That does not work for me. Just because I'm strictly by myself. Now, four years ago, I would have said, okay, that'd be great as long as I can do just 12. I could do 12 hour shifts, four days a week. That would be fine, but I'd have to come in super early. Or I'd have to come in just at night. Um, but with this, though, are you, because right now you're salary. Yes. And you haven't always been. Right. So, because if if you're an hourly employee, then there, there's not even a conversation. Because to me, you know, if you're an hourly employee, um, any way any conceivable way that helps the business where you can fit in your hours to get 40 each week. You know, as long as you're getting work done and you're, you're functioning at the same rate you would. I mean, if, if you're able to get it done in three days, more power to you. But as far as the salary version of this, you know, it's not about the shift necessarily as much as it is just, you know, the, the, the flexibility to have really eight hours of time back to you that you can use however you see fit. Because, you know, I would take Friday off because I like the idea of a three-day weekend. But, you know, when we had, um, uh, like, Bailey's, you know, dance and tap and all that stuff, and then Corbin basketball practice, you know, if – if Thursday was just a busy day that it would make more sense for you to have off, you know, you, you had that, that choice to make, um, use that however it, it best helped you. But I think it's a, it's a different conversation between salary or hourly employee. Yeah, okay, that does change the dynamic a little bit. <laughs> is that a better question? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Because hourly, I mean, you go to work to make the money. Um, it's one of the great things. Okay, but yeah, salary, it's, I don't know. Are, am I like just opinion or is this like healthcare focused? Uh, it's your opinion. I mean, it's, it's your work, you know? Yeah, because healthcare is 24 7. So, I mean, if I were salaried, yeah. I mean, could you stop as long as you have two fish to cover that 24 hours? I mean, yeah, that would work. But, and that would be great. I, I could see how the productivity, like, would be a whole lot better. Well, in, in, in the study, you know, every measurable stat went up. And it, it went up significantly. You know, we're talking about, you know, I don't know exactly. Where was the study done at? You said Europe? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's another thing, too. Americans are late, and that's a problem. They are, but COVID opened a lot of eyes to maybe the status quo doesn't have to be the status quo in, in a lot of different areas. And this is, to me, this is one of the biggest ones with 
between a four-day work week and working from home. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the two biggest things that we kind of found out as Americans that, that hey, you know what? Um, I don't have to be in the office five days a week. You know, I, I don't have to be in the office at all. I can complete my job from home. Um, again, how many meetings turn into Teams meetings or email instead of a meeting? And this, this going, you know, through and, and saving all of this time. So I think that it's a, it's a revelation that we had during the pandemic. And again, you know, Europe is just there, you know, really doing a study to see, you know, again, like measurable results. And the, the stats that went up, I mean, we're talking about, you know, productivity. We're talking about a decline in turnover, a decline in burnout. Um, we're talking about increases in revenue and profitability, uh, customer retention, you know, I mean, so much stuff. And because to me, it's laughable when you can, when you compare the alternatives, because if I'm telling you that, Hey, I can get my job done in four days. And, but you don't want me to. The argument then is, okay, so. Well, I can get done in four days. You want me to sandbag and take five days to do it. I don't know. I'm so far on this whole thing. Okay. As a manager for myself, I'd be like, hell yeah, best idea ever. Let's implement nap time also. though. Like, I would rather have nap time every single day instead of a four day. Like, I just, you know, I just work better than it. But I'm a great manager. Um, <laughs> but um, if I were a manager in charge of people, I don't know that I would like that so much. And I, again, that's where the change in culture is too, because the, I guess the generation before us and like our generation, we would work and we would go to work to work and we would work our asses off and then we go home. Where the generation now, they don't do that. They go to work because they have to go to work and then their quality of work, it's that, um, that quiet quitting kind of deal. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, they are working what they feel their worth is, not necessarily what their worth actually is. So in Europe, if you, there's all kinds of studies that show that their work ethics are different too. And their social lives aren't necessarily as, like, you want to be scrolling TikTok while you're at work. Whereas now, I have to yell at people to get off their phones because they can't quit looking at Facebook. So I would like to say that is an excellent idea and we should implement that. And Yes, it seems like it would make sense. And, like, for us and the generation before us, that would have worked fantastic. Like, I feel like that really would have been great. But for the generation below us, I don't know that that really would be sufficient because nobody is working with ethics, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, I mean, the the, the important thing about the four-day work week, though, is to understand that, you know, it's a benefit. It, it's a privilege. To be able to do that because at any time, you know, it can be redacted and you can go back to a five day work week. And well, let me ask you this though why not just give more PTO? I think the, the four day work week schedules you to have that extra time off each week because, okay, so from like the snow and ice perspective, mm-hmm. you know, with winter, you know, you're I mean, right now, like we're in a pattern that every single weekend are storm. And if you are in a, a market that's continu- continually getting crushed by these storms, you're working every weekend. You're working every Friday. So if those companies have a four-day work week set up, those employees right now are not able to take advantage. But being 52 weeks in a year, I think that you know, even if I got 30 weeks out of the year that I can have a four-day work week and I have to work 22 regular five-day work weeks, like that's still enough of an incentive for me to opt in to want to do that. Because, uh, you know, like you, you, you mentioned it earlier, the, the thing with PTO is that, you know, no one wants to take it. Um, and uh, there could be a, a lot of reasons why. I mean, some people just aren't vacationers. Some people, just, you know, they 
if they do have that free time, like you said, you know, they, they get bored and they get self-destructive. Um, or again, you know, that they just don't know what to do with that downtime and it's just easier for them to continue to work and, 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 um, and bank that PTO time. But when it comes to preventing burnout, you know, PTO, it, it has to be used. And in conjunction with that, the employer has to um, be hands off during that PTO. Oh, yeah, that's a huge thing. They, they, they cannot continue to, you know, like manipulate your time off and bug you and wrap. It, mm-hmm. it needs to be a clean break for you to completely check out because that's what it's designed for. And, um, but I don't know. I mean, to me though, the... Yeah, what if, not because you just asked me a simple question and I'm making a much bigger thing than it needs to be. That never happens. Um, what if that was like an annual bonus? So, like, if you completed your first year satisfactory, and and because you know healthcare gets crappy at bonuses, yeah. okay. So healthcare gets crappy bonuses. So there's thirty. Oh, oh, oh. was crappy your idea of healthcare? No, the first part was like crappy ass. Oh, okay, crappy ass. Didn't clean that shit up. Okay. Good. Anyway, so like, what if they got their down thirty cent raise? Plus, now, because you've proven your work ethic is there, you've proven you deserve this, now we're going to give you a four-day work week. That would be fantastic, because then you are weeding out your lazy people and the generation people that I'm talking crap all the crap about, and your people who are working their asses off are getting that incentive. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I um, should have done I want to be a marketing person and go talk to all the head hunters and tell them this go. is what we're about to do. Write them a letter. Yeah, all the time. Um... Yeah, I mean, like that—that that would be a good, um, a good thing for many reasons. But I think anyone considering implementing a four-day work week needs to understand that you, know, you have to express it and explain it as it is a benefit. Um, the the job I have with a four-day work week, you know, they um, that was built into the offer letter with a monetary amount attached to that four-day work week of, you know, like basically, you know, here's the the value of, you know, having um, a day off every week. And so, again, like it, it was understood that this is a benefit. And like I said, you know, it, it's a benefit that can be taken away um, if management deemed necessary. Well, okay. So now you have a lot of work to do. And a lot of cleanup we need to do to make it right, but we just solved all the problems of all the careers. Yeah, everywhere. All of them. I mean, like that's what people tune into this podcast. Yeah. Because this is what we bring to the table. Exactly. Okay. So moving on in a completely different direction. Um ongoing training. Mm-hmm. So healthcare, uh, big time need for continuing education. Big time need for uh, repetitious training to make sure that um, you know you're you know all the skills because you've got people's lives in your hand, quite literally. So tell me a little about you know ongoing training with healthcare, not so much like you know uh, certification programs, not like that. Just you know stuff you guys do in house. All right, so. Um Repetition. Repetition is everything. And being taught by people who know what they're talking about is even more. So basic drills, you know, talk about elopement drills. Those are so annoying when you are so busy, you're taking care of your people, you have your routine, and then someone sets off this alarm, calls on the radio and says, pacing 128 is missing. That causes the whole thing. You actually went on actual moment with me a yeah. couple times, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. Those are wild. Um, so doing that drill over and over again, so that way every single person in that entire building, not just nursing, the dietary, 
the housekeeping, maintenance, every single person has to know their role. And if they don't know their role, then your patient is dead. Um, and it's so crazy because people think, oh, I'm just a housekeeper. Oh, I'm just maintenance. Or I just stay in the kitchen. No, the hell you don't. Um, so for an elopement drill for us, especially for someone who's on a memory care lost unit, okay? These people can't make safe decisions on their own. Um, they can't tell you how to put their pants on. And so we're talking about a, a wing of the facility that specializes in dementia care yeah. and all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, these people will help with every single thing. So if they were to get out of the building or they, you can't do a head count. You don't know where they're at. They're like, let's get it gone. What do you do? So the only way to know what to do is by practicing what you do if that event's actually happening. That's like all of your training is repetition. Uh, military, both of us being in the military, all of the repetition. Repetition? Repetition? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what we would do is I personally, I either took an actual resident and hid them, took them with me. We hid out in a closet, and they, one, they think that is the funniest thing, especially when the radios are there. They can hear, like, oh, Mary's missing, and she's like, oh, I'm right here. Um, it's so funny. Or you have a baby doll, and when you make them go look for it. But there's patterns to it. There's a system to it. It's not just, oh, we looked around and can't find Mary. It's this person checks rooms one through eight, this person checks rooms nine through 12, whatever it is. Um, you check each part of the room and then you label the door. So that way, you know, that room's covered, it's locked, you don't go back in there. So, I mean, all, every part of it. And then once the whole building has been searched, then you search the outside of the building. Once the outside of the building, the whole property's been searched and that's when you go bigger. But you do it all the time. Cause if you, don't know what you're doing or say you have someone coming in that's not adequately trained room six the closet might have not been tech and patients just hang out in the closet when they need actual care maybe they fall and bust their head open you know whatever um so you have to be trained you have to do it repetitively there has to be different scenarios in place um because i can hide a baby doll in anybody's closet and i can hide any mary in some empty room, you know. But for the one we went on, actually, was it my birthday or anniversary last year, the year before? Yeah. The year before, yeah. yeah. So we got a call that one of the patients were missing, and she hadn't been seen since before dinner time. We got the call about 8 39. That was the one that she was out with her family, right? No, was she was out with friends but didn't sign out. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, my staff did so good. We do elopement drills um, every single month on both, because we only have two units, on both units every month. And so they knew a drill, a drill like the back of their hand, and they knew how to communicate with each other. Um, not everyone had their walkies, but they all had each other's numbers. They all knew how to talk to each other without being panicked, without raising their voices. Because in a panel situation, if you raise your voice, no one's listening to you. Everyone's pissed off, and everyone is going to be the chief at this point. You know, they're going to tell everyone else what to do instead of one person being in control, implementing the whole thing. So they did fantastic. They searched every single room over and over and over, the whole property over and over and over. Then they called me, and they're like, listen, we can't do it. So me and you showed up there. Uh, we were going door to door. Um, I was kind of the command center, had pictures of my lady ready, had the police on their way. Um, on the phone with corporate, on the phone with, oh my God, every single person in the whole world, um, to a point where they had drones out looking for this little lady. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it, I mean, it was a very scary situation, but I could have not been like more proud of my team. Like everyone did so excellent. And then after police gets involved, we were open for what, an hour and a half, two hours maybe? It was a while. Yeah. yeah. Little ladies walked in the front of the door like, no problem. And then uh, I dumped on her. I was like, oh, my God, where are you been? And she was having pizza and just forgot to tell anybody. She went to a restaurant. So it's just important that everyone looks, works as a team. I mean, even the housekeepers came in after hours to help. Like, it's insane. Yeah, I mean, you know, so like that's the type of 
outcome you get from, you know, having a real world, you know, simulated scenario based training. Um, or calm managers. The person in charge has to know their shit and they have to be able to keep a level head. Yeah. And I mean, but like, it, the best way to to get that is to go through that train mm-hmm. and you know it, it's to experience it because you know the, the thing about the elopement drill is you don't know if it's a drill or not yeah and when, when, when you guys run the drill it's just you know hey like we you know, we got a situation and so it's not necessarily known that this is um this is real or this is fake and so again you know it, but and if it is suspected that it's a drill, you know, it's not real, you know, there's this element of, all right, let's pretend it is real to that training. And, you know, this is, you know, what, um, you know, the, the snow version of this is, you know, the, the mock, storm, mock storm training system, um, you know, that I've developed and I'm sharing with uh, folks who I consult with. Well, I got to tell you, so the people who, Knew it was a drill. Well, not that situation, but when we do these drills, the people who knew it was a drill just because, like, they just because what well, you know, I can't keep the secrets, but I'm like giggling, hope someone's no wall. Like, you know, they knew it was a drill. They made every single mistake, which was excellent because then I could educate on that mistake. Um, they goofed off a little bit more. You know, they weren't as um, because I would like them to be, they didn't communicate like I wanted to, but you better believe I graded it, air quotes, graded it, like it was real, yeah. which was a, like, kicking the ass to them because they were like, oh, it's just a drill, not a big deal. It's like, well, to you, you thought that, but to me, it wasn't. So this is what we're going to learn about. And I guarantee that at this one particular nurse, she would not take it serious at all. So I graded her on it, essentially. And um, at her review, I brought that up. Mm-hmm. Like, I I mean, it wasn't a punishment. It was a, so we did this and you didn't do it. Like, you didn't hold up your end of what you're supposed to do. And we talked through every situation. And she was actually the nurse who was there that day. That lady had loped. And, and um, because of her, me and her sitting down, because she goofed off that whole time, that's how she knew every single thing. So, like, even if you do your training and you don't feel like your team's taking it serious, you still need to take it serious. And you still talk to them. You correct them on things they, you, even though you know they know and they're just not taking it, like, serious. Yeah. Um, you still take it serious because they are going to be so embarrassed that they were joking around and you weren't joking around. Even if you are joking around with them, you still correct it. You still make it known. No, that's not how we do it. This is what they and they will remember it on the most mm-hmm. simple thing. I mean, and it really builds your team too. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it boils down to you train like you fight. Yeah. You know, which is the mantra, you know, in, in the army. And, but, you know, it's, it's the same anywhere, you know, if, if you're taking the training seriously and you're, you're treating it like a real scenario, then during the real thing, um, the, the, the best version of you comes out and you're you're truly able to um to, to show off what you know and, and how it's supposed to go. Um all right so this wraps up our conversation this week and this episode of the industry. Um catch me at the Simon Symposium Wednesday June 14th. Uh, I will be talking about the Moxlone training system and giving you all the information you need to know um, to implement your own Moxlone training system at your snow firm. Also, catch me at the Snow Fighters Institute event. Uh, there is one in Michigan, June 27th and 28th, and there is one in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. That is September 6th and 7th. Uh, the one in Ben Salem, I believe, is hosted by Cat, and the one in um, Michigan is going to be hosted by the Hot Pink Deicer um, Company, and that's going to be both of those are, are, are going to be really fun, um, really informative sessions. Um, Neil 
and Neil Glatt and Phil, they do a great job at um, putting those together. So looking forward, though, um, to all those events coming up. Please like us on Facebook and rate our podcast. I thank uh, my wife so much for coming on and having a conversation and uh, really hope to uh, have her back in the future. I don't think she did that bad with that. No, I didn't do that. You're pretty great yourself. Thank you. All right. Well, until next time, we will see you guys later. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Industry, a show built by the working class for the working class. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review.